Hey, welcome to Architecture. I'm Zach Rogers. So with this episode, we're departing from our usual editorial format to talk about Twitter. What's been going on for the last week with this company as it pertains to the advertising business? I'm joined by Ari Paparo and Eric Sufert. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey there. What's been going on Twitter? I haven't heard anything. <laughs> <laughs> so we're the last people to weigh in on this, I think. But let's start with this sort of very high-level question. Ari, how would you kind of sum up where we're at right now with Elon Musk and Twitter and ads? It's a shit show. <laughs> So <laughs> it didn't have to be uh, just because the company changed ownership and is having some layoffs that didn't have to turn into a crisis. But this seems to be a crisis of Elon's own making where um, he's scaring off advertising essentially by saying provocative things and pointedly calling out advertisers for potentially lowering their spend or being on the wrong side of free speech or otherwise entangling their knees with some of his point of view and why he bought Twitter. And I think he's absolutely making it worse for himself. Oh my, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think he seems to be unable to differentiate his own political and views and economic views from his kind of stewardship of this company. And it's hurting him for sure. Um, before we jump into some of the specifics, Eric, any high-level thoughts on what we're seeing play out over the last week? Well, I mean, I think we've all now been disabused of the notion that this is 4D chess or that there's some big master plan or or like brilliant strategy at play here. Like he's learning about the business in real time. I, and it's just shocking how little knowledge he possessed going into the transaction of, about the fundamentals of the business. And unfortunately, I think we're going to see him start to learn about things like the the importance of content moderation, right? The importance of having like a fact checking team and all these things that he's always lambasted and, and, you know, sort of ridiculed as unnecessary or incursions into free speech. Like, I think we're going to learn or he's going to unfortunately learn how important those are. And uh, it's and we're all going to sort of be worse off for that. Yeah, I, I thought there was going to be sort of a delay between the the fuck around stage of this and the find out stage of this, but they seem yeah. to happen all at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's a terrible combination for advertisers as we'll see. So here's some of the facts that we know, a partial list here of advertisers that have suspended their Twitter advertising. As of today, we're recording this on Friday, November 4th, General Mills, Audi, General Motors, Mondelez, Pfizer, Volkswagen, and we know IPG is strongly encouraged advertisers to pause their ad spend while they wait to see what happens. That's quite a list. On Twitter, yeah. All big brand advertisers that we know of. I mean, there might be more advertisers that are more performance-oriented that are pausing to see how this plays out. We just don't know about them. So we saw this happen in summer of 2020 with YouTube. Advertisers fled YouTube as you know, part of a semi-orchestrated withdrawal from the platform. A lot of it was around brand safety concerns. How much of what you guys are seeing right now with advertisers leaving Twitter or pausing their Twitter spend do you chalk up to brand safety? Well, I would, I would say that another relevant boycott was was also in 2020 with, with Facebook, right? And that was almost like a backlash to the election. Now, with Facebook, it didn't have any effect, right? I mean, it was like one of the big participants in that was like North Face. And so, okay, North Face is pausing spend in the summer. Yeah, what a bold stance. <laughs> uh, but that just showcases the difference in those platforms. First of all, 
you know, Facebook, they always talk about 10 million advertisers, right? It's SMB advertising, direct response. But it's not even about the size of the company or the format. It's, it was the dependence on that that channel for sales, right? SMB is not going to boycott a channel, right? If that is going to have an adverse impact on its business, that's just not what you do. A big brand that, you know, couldn't really measure the impact of its ad spend on Facebook. Yeah, fine. Okay, maybe we'll do that. But the problem with Twitter is that's all the revenue. Is big brands that can't measure the impact. And so if you if you insult them and you provoke them, they're going to pull their ad spend and they're going to go and apply it to whatever, billboards or paying people to run around in a flash mob because, well, that was just experimental spend anyway. I mean, that is just totally indefensible spend. And so, yeah, if you make them angry, they're going to pull it. So, so Eric, I'm glad you brought that up because I was hoping to ask you this question where you probably have a lot more knowledge than I do. What's the breakdown on Twitter between direct response and brand? Because the, their cohorts, you know, f- Facebook and Snap and whoever, probably lean more towards DR, but I feel like Twitter is more brand. Uh, well, they've said it. They said in 2020, they had uh, an analyst day and they said it was 85% brand, right? Why? Why, why is it 85% brand? Well, I just read an article today and it said something that like there's there's like 2,500, 3,000 advertisers on, on Twitter or, some, or brands like that are advertising on Twitter. Now, you could you could just go and promote your tweet or whatever, but that's different. I think they, they had mentioned like three. So that's their advertiser base, really. Uh, my sense is it just, first of all, it doesn't perform as DR spend. And so you just can't spend. I mean, I've tried numerous times. And, and usually what you see with like a DR advertisers is they'll have like some kind of... Uh, track record of having gone to Twitter. It's like, oh, we, we tried it six months ago. We tried it a year ago. But then our account rep reached back out and they told us about how they made, you know, these these significant improvements to the platform. We should try again. So we drop another 10 and 20K on the platform, get zero return. And there's just no measurability. It's like, yeah, guys, sorry. I love Twitter. I'm a power user, but I just can't spend money with you. And that and that's just like a recurring theme. So so the the DR tools just don't aren't really effective. Right. And then I think a lot of the brand spend, even it's not like big scale spend. I mean, their revenue is a billion a quarter. Right. So they're not making that much money even from the brand spend. It's just like, hey, you know, this is like pretty low on our priorities list of channels to spend on. But that's what makes it so vulnerable. Right. Like if the new CEO starts poking everybody in the eye, like, well, then it's pretty easy to just revoke that spend. Yeah. I think that as an observer of Twitter as a user, the timeline ads are largely direct response and not very effective. But they do have quite a bit of video and pre-roll um, in various places. And I think that probably has disproportionate impact on their revenue because they're high CPMs, but largely unmeasurable on brand spend. Yeah. I just put out one, one other thing. So when they had that analyst day, there was an old leadership team on the ads team. And I think they were actually really committed because the reason they brought that stat up, they had never revealed that before because they were making the point that we're going, we are going to change that mix. We're going to build more DR tools. That was the whole point of, of that analyst day, really, was talking about the roadmap they had for bringing more DR spend to the platform. Now, when Parag took over from Jack, he fired a lot of that leadership. Yep. Like Parag was not a big believer in advertising business model. And he started talking about crypto and all this other stuff in the subscription model. But the thing is, like, those people were left. So you've been a year without any real leadership on the DR ad spend initiative. And, and I had tweeted something out about that. And one of the people on the on the DR team responded and said, no, look, we had this... We have done, we have made progress. Here's a blog post. And if you read the blog post, they're talking about, okay, they've created a Twitter pixel. Yeah. Like, come on, you're 2021. <laughs> yeah, just last week, literally last week, they put out it's a blog like, post about their great new conversion tags. Yeah, and they've got conversion and the conversion API and they've got app events bidding. It's like, 
Facebook released a pixel in like 2015 or they, they made it like totally public out of beta. Uh, that, that was the first party pixel. That third party pixel went back further than that. They had the app event targeting since 2016. I mean, this is table stakes for five, six years. Yep. And then they sold Mopub, which yeah. I think is an interesting little, you know, we'll call it a B story if we're writing the writing the TV show about this. Yeah. Uh, the Mopub, which was effectively a, like a direct response cash machine. It was an yeah. exchange they owned. And internally, uh, the feel, I, I've heard this from Twitter employees, the feeling was that it wasn't core to their long-term mission. Um, and someone came to the table, Ablovin, with, I don't know, a billion-dollar cash yeah. offer to buy it, and they felt like it was a good focusing move to get rid of Mopo. But that said, if they actually really had ambitions to build a DR business, having a giant pool of supply with an SDK is certainly a big asset that very few other folks have. Um, yeah. So I kind of... In my opinion, I see. I saw that as kind of the beginning of the end of them having a real DR business. Right, yeah. I want to touch on something Eric said earlier um, about advertisers uh, and being an e- kind of a layup for them to withdraw spend during a season when they aren't selling a lot anyway or when they're not highly dependent on a channel. But before we get into that, I just want to sort of clarify what we all just talked about with DR and the lack of performance or at least measurable performance on Twitter. How much of this is just can be chalked up to like a shitty ad product? Like it's not the ad well, formats are too easily skippable and not not engaging. Yeah, the ad so ad formats are poor in my opinion. The benefit of having text ads in a timeline is that probably they're read because you have to read them in order to figure out they're an ad. But they're not very compelling formats. If you just apples apples as a consumer, look at Instagram and see those ads versus the ones that you're seeing in Twitter, and it's just you know a tail. It's a, it's a it's a bad comparison for Twitter. Let's just put it that way. But then you also have to think about the, if you think about ad products, the targeting and optimization. Twitter, very little about its users. Uh, They don't have intent. People don't tell Twitter, hey, I'm about to buy a t-shirt or I really like that pair of leggings. They don't have accurate demographics, age, gender, et cetera. They don't have billing relationships with most customers. You can't like bridge from a credit card to an Equifax profile or anything like that. They may have poor quality identity in terms of email and real first name and real last name. So it's a pretty weak data set that they're, that they're using to optimize those, those ads in the first place. So overall, they're, they're playing from a very weak position. Interesting. Well, that, that raises some interesting possibilities for what Twitter could do to improve, which we will come to later in this episode. But let's just, let's just touch for a minute on Eric's comment about, hey, it's easy for North Face to withdraw their ad, their ad spend in the summer from Facebook. Well, right now we're coming up on a probable recession, and I think a lot of advertisers are looking for places to cut anyway. And is it just kind of a no-brainer when there's a shitstorm happening around Elon Musk and Twitter to say, well, we're just going to just ease off our investment there until we have more visibility into, you know, how things are going to play out. Well, they're going to cut anyway. It's just an excuse. Yeah. I mean, I think that the IPG warning to its clients was also focused on the midterm elections. Um, so it's kind of the worst possible timing is in a week or a week or two prior to a very momentous political event that's highly controversial to yep. uh, to put this company under the under the leadership of someone controversial and also to bring to the fore all the controversial issues. None of that's good for, for spending. <laughs> very easy. And in the face of a recession, uh, very easy to turn it off. But I think a really good question is whether it comes back in 
X months, three months, six months, you know, or does it become a habit to leave it off the media plan? Right. That's a huge question that depends a lot on what Twitter's power users do. If we see really big personalities and celebrities who are choosing not to use Twitter or, you know, deactivating their accounts, does it just devolve into parlor? I don't know. But Ari, I don't know how you classify your Twitter usage and I'll I'll spare you that judgment. But I know I'm addicted. I am absolutely addicted addicted to Twitter. And I hope they pull it together. I hope (laughs) Elon, he's learning in real time. He seems like a smart guy. Maybe he learns it faster than anybody else could. And he writes the ship. I hope they figure this out. I I love the platform. It's like with Facebook, I don't use Facebook. I I mean, as an advertiser, I do. And I'd be disappointed if that company just went to zero. As from an advertiser standpoint, from a user standpoint, I don't really use Facebook's products that much. But Twitter, I'm on it every second of every day. I'm absolutely addicted and my wife would love it if Twitter just disappeared, but I would hate it. I would be, I would be distraught. And so I hope they figure it out. Okay, yeah. so you're rooting for for success, as we all are, aren't we, Ari? I'm a total addict. I check it. Yeah. Like, I check <laughs> yeah. it while I'm checking it. I'll have it open in multiple screens. I can't get through a Sunday football game without checking it like five thousand times just to see people's takes on what's going on. So I do have a question for the for the three of us. Who has the most followers? I'm going to guess Eric has more than me. Where are you at? Well, it's not me. I'm like around 10, 10 or 15 or something. 10 or 15 is not bad. I'm like 23,000 followers. <laughs> Eric, you're uh, yeah, the highest. I'm 20, 29.7. So. Oh, nice. Um, Close to the 30. No, I'm, I'm only, I've only got like over five, just over 5,000. So you guys have me beat. I, I am not a Twitter addict. I do check it periodically throughout the day, but I find... I find the discourse on Twitter disorienting and not not productive. I fi- I think it's a great place to watch people dunk on other people and like there are some there's some really clever and some really thoughtful insights there, but it's just there's too much noise. The signal to noise is too difficult for me and I'm not going to invest a ton of time engaging on Twitter. I don't get paid to do that. And but it is a great place to watch what sort of the cultural and business and tech conversations are. Are, are you going to pay the $8? No. I mean, it depends on what it comes with. Uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll wait and see. I mean, Twitter Prime might be exciting. Maybe they can come up with something really compelling. But um, I think you mentioned, Eric, Elon's learning in real time. Maybe he can pull this off. So let's read a couple of Elon tweets. Oh, God. <laughs> Here's one. This was from uh, about two hours ago. Twitter has had a massive drop in revenue due to activist groups pressuring advertisers, even though nothing has changed with content moderation. And we did everything we could to appease the activists. Extremely messed up. They're trying to destroy free speech in America. All right. So I think I would classify this as counterproductive. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, yeah. unless, unless he's trying to get the bondholders to give up already, I think it's yeah. pretty counterproductive. You can hear some screams from like Morgan Stanley headquarters in Midtown when this one yeah. went out. And Apollo. <laughs> well, so this is here, here would be a, a vote in favor of 40 chess, right? So he's got Apollo, he's got some of the most sophisticated institutional investors in the world in the consortium. Right to buy, and a lot of his own personal money, but not all. Not all. The entire purchase price was a pay with it. He raised debt, and then you know he also had uh, equity investors with him. And I just don't think he would be totally reckless with their money because it's they're the ones that that he's going to depend on for the rest of his life, right? And I just it just feels unlikely that 
it, it, it would just seem unlikely. It would seem to, to, to not be realistic that he went into this thing not knowing anything about the business and not understanding that when he just started bloviating and shooting off hot takes with a machine gun pace, that he would start pissing off advertising they would full spend. But just a superficial take is that's what's happening. And I'm just wondering, is there a real strategy behind this? Right. And like, it, I'm just less and less convinced that there is as the tweets scroll on. Right. It just seems reckless. I, it seems to me like he has a product plan. He's a product guy in, yeah. in his heart. He has a product plan around payments, around verification, around potentially like an OnlyFans like competitor where you'll have once you're verified and you get payments, it's easy to put, you know, videos or or other material behind a paywall and take a piece of that. That all sounds very thought through, or at least that's superficially thought through. I think it's pretty obvious that he had no idea how the advertising market works. Yeah, um, right. And his first tweet, I don't know if you're going to get to this, Zach. His well, I mean, the, the, the more week. charitable tweet to <laughs> quote would be the hellscape tweet. Yeah. Where, well, I, mean, that I don't have it in front of me, but it was like, it, Twitter will not become a, a, a hellscape. Advertiser, right. advertiser relationships matter to us, which was the yeah, responsible yeah. thing to say. I don't know if someone told him to say it, but since I think then, that was written, that was written for him. It was written for him. Yeah, this okay. is this is yeah. very similar to when Trump would say something halfway intelligent, and you didn't yeah, know yeah, yeah. someone else wrote it for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the tweet that bothered me, I you know I get a little worked up on Twitter sometimes, was when he ran that poll. Uh, I don't know. I, it, all the days are kind of melding together. So I don't know. Maybe it was two days ago. Maybe it was this morning. I have no idea. But he wrote a poll <laughs> that was like, what do advertisers want? And the two options of the poll were free speech or political correctness. And political correctness yeah. was in quotes. In quotes. So yeah. this aggravated me on two levels. One is, obviously, it's a straw man bullshit poll, which just upsets my sense of decorum in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But put that aside. What really upset me is that uh, his just cluelessness that advertisers don't care about either of those things at all <laughs> right yeah <laughs> advertisers want to avoid controversy they, right. they don't want to be so the fact that it was it was very ironic that the the fact that the poll existed would turn off more advertisers than either of the options provided in the, in the poll itself. Yeah. Yeah. And Ari, speaking of polls, you yourself ran a Twitter poll at one point asking about Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter and the reasons for it. And I, I do you remember what your selection, your I options don't, were? I don't remember. Uh, do you have it? No, no, I don't have it in front of me. But one of the things you put as an option that people could vote on was billionaire hubris. Uh, <laughs> And I think that might be what we're dealing with here. It's somebody who, I mean, it's all play money to him. I mean, yeah. sure, if he takes, if Twitter goes to zero, $44 billion, like flush down the toilet, that's still nothing compared to the loss of value that's happened with Facebook over the last nine months. And, you know, and it's, there's across the uh, big tech, we've seen so much destruction of shareholder value with the market's just being crazy. So Elon screwing up Twitter is not actually maybe the most important thing to Elon. You know, it might, it might be fairly like a, a fairly acceptable outcome if if the value is cut in half. It'll be off the public market soon anyway. Yeah? yeah. So, I mean, he's accountable to these investment partners, as you point out, Eric, and those relationships are very important, but he's also the richest person in the world. So those investment partners are almost less they they almost need to kowtow to him more than he does to them. I, I think that's kind of my my assessment here. And he's just giving free reign to his ego, it, you know. And it's really 
damaging for Twitter already one week in. So maybe maybe he's just trying to create a really awful first impression so things can only improve from here. <laughs> I don't know. Let's stop giving. Let's stop like trying to play the four-dimensional chess like Eric said. Let's just look at what's <laughs> happening. So he's doing things that are necessary. I think everyone agrees that Twitter's overstaffed um, and that it's not profitable enough and that there are opportunities and payments or something like that. Those are pretty uncontroversial opinions. Uh, but I think we could all look at the past seven days and say he is damaging the advertising business very significantly for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 have your, I have your poll up. It says, what do advertisers want from Twitter? Option one, free speech, got 4.2% of the votes. <laughs> a shit a shit posting CEO, uh, option two, it got 23% of the votes. And then finally, uh, ads that perform, which thankfully got 72.8% nice. of the votes, which was missing from his original poll, which you know, which was was totally free of any sort of actual connection to advertising as a as a driver of business outcomes. Right? Uh, he thinks advertisers are just like the liberal elite or the media elites, and they they either give you their money because you agree with them, or they withhold your money because you disagree with them. That's not the way advertising works as a business. Yeah, th- this reminds me a lot of early days of Google, and I, I may have this story messed up, but in the very early days of Google, I believe one of the very senior executives, maybe it was Shashir or someone in the advertising group, told the WPP people, uh, you're not our customers. You're, you know, your customers are our customers. You're just a middleman. Mm. Uh, and that that statement was reported widely, and basically it was the biggest FU possible to the agency world, and it showed effectively the naivete of Google in the early days, and they had no idea how advertising worked. And I feel like that that's the most similar similar event to what's going on right now with the new management. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, so let's talk about what Twitter should do. Are you want to kick off? No, let's just, we're just talking advertising, not as a business. Right, yeah, I mean, you can comment on the blue check marks or whatever, but no, we're talking about advertising. What, what steps should they take? Well, I think they have to bring in new leadership. So we didn't mention that I believe the head of sales and the head of marketing and the head of customer service all left this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's extremely damaging on its own, even without the fact that the new leadership has been insulting effectively the advertising community. So figuring out who's going to run this advertising business is very important on the sales side as well as kind of the product side. As as Eric mentioned, the longtime leadership of the advertising side was fired earlier this year. Bruce Falk and his team um, largely um, were let go. So that's step one, although it might be quite difficult because it's probably not the most attractive place to work right now. So step two is to rethink your advertising product. I, I would say almost from scratch. I don't think it's working very effectively. As Eric said, and I think as well, you know, the DR doesn't work much at all. So you... Probably, if I were involved in it, I would think about doubling down on brand, having bigger, more immersive video units, especially on the Discover tab and, and you know, outside of the timeline. You know, their videos are very small and usually play muted and uh, are not very, are not really highlighted in the user flow. So I would, I would probably look at that and see how I can make a pretty compelling video ad product that could restart the interest of brand. All right. Fantastic. Eric, any thoughts? Well, I mean, I think the good news is that, you know, to some degree, they they don't have as far to catch up, you know, to, you know, the other DR leaders as they used to, right? So pre-ATT, I mean, obviously Facebook had run away. But now, I mean, it's been sort of uh, yanked back to uh, somewhere in the same kind of like 
they're, they're racing in the same race, at least. Facebook was, you know, in a, in a different city, in a different stadium before. And now at least they're the same stadium racing against each other. And so uh, that's a weird metaphor. But my point is, um, <laughs> ATT did a lot to sort of reduce the degree to which Facebook like stole all of this DR spend. And I think if they could come up with some compelling product, now maybe that's uh, on-site commerce, right? Maybe that's being really innovative with the way they use SK Ad Network and thinking through a lot of the implications of the privacy sandbox stuff. Um, and being prepared for that, you know, building out some kind of like on-site measurement system, you know, on-device measurement system. I mean, there are things you can do that Facebook has not just completely uh, run away with. And and maybe you could be competitive. I, I do think the format needs work. I don't think Twitter is fundamentally out of alignment with a DR product. I think you could have a, a functional, high-quality DR product on Twitter. I don't know that, you know, and, but the big the bigger problem here is, like, like to Ari's point, like they don't have a lot of data. Yeah. And so you, you need, you're going to have to find ways to collect more of that. I, I do think on-site shopping could be an interesting thing. I think they could do a lot more with Twitter spaces, which feels like it's been under-resourced. I think they could do a lot more with messaging, right? I mean, I think, you know, if you, if you think about the ways that Facebook has been trying to expand its ad revenue, a lot of that has to do with like click to message ads. Maybe there's a possibility to do that on Twitter. I think Twitter functions best. Uh, and to your point earlier, or Zach, it functions best when you're talking about like real time local news. That's its most indispensable form, right? Like I, the, the Austin airport had a power outage like a couple of weeks ago. And like I got all the news from Twitter, right? Like that. And so how do you monetize that? How do you wrap? I mean, you could do like that. That's way more powerful for like local ads, right? If you could just find a way to group all those tweets together as like with like a, a local news kind of package, right? For some specific topic. And then you've got a whole bunch of like geo-related advertising that you could run against that, which I don't think they've even explored. So I, I think I think they have a lot of pathways to an effective DR ads product, but they need the people. They laid everyone off a year ago, right? That was working on that kind of stuff. And so I and I don't know that a lot of people would be lining up to go work these nine nine six hours apparently that people are working now at Twitter. So you know that that's maybe a bigger hurdle to clear. Wow. Yeah. Great thoughts. Both of you guys. Yeah. I would only add sort of, uh, I would accentuate what you both have already said about data collection. And I think just a more robust registration process where you're validating identity to some extent, asking for maybe a little more information about your users that can help inform a more robust kind of advertising, more effective advertising program, I think would be Here, Here's a crazy amazing. idea. Like yeah. uh, if Elon really doesn't think advertising is going to be a big part of their future, they could just outsource the whole thing to Facebook. Just give the whole advertising business to Facebook to get a rev share. Yeah. I mean, I'll, the FTC would probably have something to say for <laughs> worth a shot. Yeah. Or Microsoft yeah. maybe wants to take that. Um, yeah, Microsoft. They do everything else. Yeah, yeah, right. So let's see here. And then just to be clear, Eric, when you were talking about how they're catching up to Facebook a little, you're kind of speaking about the ARPU numbers, right? Average revenue per user. No, I just mean the effectiveness of the platform, right? Like, oh, okay. again, talking about they launched a pixel last year. Well, okay, guys, you're five years late. They launched yeah. a conversions API last year. Okay, you're four years late. I mean, mm -hmm. this, is, this stuff was table stakes years ago. Mm -hmm, got it. So last question is just like, can you think of a company like long in the tooth tech company, been around forever, that's been sucking wind for years, that's made a comeback? <laughs> Yahoo, I guess. Uh, they're much smaller, but they're healthy. IAC, maybe. LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn, maybe. Had like a renaissance. 
under Microsoft's leadership. But okay, fair. I think LinkedIn is the best example of those three, probably. But you know, I think yeah. generally speaking, it's pretty hard to bring a company back when there are cultural problems, when there are platform issues, um, and when the CEO is deranged, seemingly. So. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't see. I don't think Elon will own this company two years from now. That's what I was thinking. I think that he's. He'll take it private. He'll make a bunch of changes, and then he'll sell it to private equity. Yeah, or IAC or someone like that for yeah. a fraction of what he spent, and he'll make zero. He'll lose all his money. Bondholders will get a little bit of their money back, but at least he'll have it in the rearview mirror, uh, which is probably what he already wants at this point. <laughs> Yeah, well, he wanted that two, four months ago, right? Like, he was trying to get out of the deal the whole time. Yep. All right. Eric Suford, Ari Paparo, thank you so much for taking the time to do this special episode of Architecture. If you like what you hear, subscribe and listen to more of this kind of content, plus our in-depth interviews with vendors. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for listening. New interviews are added every week at Markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.